Now everything's funny. <laughs> And welcome to the 34th episode of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Land. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. How How are you doing? Oh, you beat me to it this time. Yes, I was trying so hard. I always say it first. Uh, I know, I'm throwing a wrench in your plans. I'm doing great. As we mentioned in the last episode... We were going to go to Earthrider Fest, which happened a couple of days ago. And when we're at Earthrider Fest during the sauerkraut eating competition, there was a fantastic human named Ashley who walked up to compete and was wearing a Beach to Sandy shirt, which, if you do not know, is the other podcast that Christine from And That's Why We Drink does. And she does it with her brother. And so I took a couple pictures with Ashley's permission and I tweeted what happens when a at Beach to Sandy fan and an at ATWWD podcast fan meet at a beer fest. They celebrate with a sauerkraut eating competition. Prost! At Xteen Schiefer. And, and she retweeted it. Aww. And she commented back and she went, this is dot 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 life affirming. <laughs> and then ATWWD retweeted it today as well. So it's got like 70-something likes on it, which might not seem like a lot. But I have now been retweeted by my favorite podcast, And That's Why We Drink, by Christine Schieffer, the host of that favorite podcast. I was retweeted by Vanilla Ice just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I've been retweeted by Billy Motherfucking Idol and I have had Missy Elliott respond to one of my tweets about her. So I'm like on cloud nine. And I don't know why people are hating on Twitter. Twitter is like the greatest thing ever. Isn't it such a good feeling? It's amazing. And shout out to Ashley. Um, I messaged them a screenshot of of them retwe- of it being retweeted and all that jazz. And uh yeah, they said that they have been listening to the podcast. They're like two episodes in, which I had told several people who asked me about it at the fest because I emceed it and I, I mentioned the podcast like, oh, you might know me from my radio job or the Left of Skeptic podcast because I'm obviously mm-hmm. going to shout that out. And uh, I had a couple people say that they started listening to it, but Ashley started at the beginning, which is not what I told them to do. I told them. Start at the middle. Go towards the middle. You don't need to listen Some to those first Some people want to start episodes. from the beginning, and they accept the fact that they know it's going to get better. <laughs> as long as we've told them that, and we're like, yo, those first two episodes were recorded rough. by a Zoom. <laughs> rough. It's rough. So, yeah. But, I yes, it was fantastic. I had a lot of podcast conversations, plus all the great music, sauerkraut eating contest, the keg toss was pretty epic. I think you left right before that, but 
Yeah. I was on a homework break. I had I couldn't stay very long. The uh the guy who won the sauerkraut eating competition also won the keg toss. Fucking killing it at Earth Rider Fest. Killing it. Well, he was a very big burly man, so he probably was just super German and he's like, This is my element. <laughs> How are it, you? I am just I'm in a great mood. Yay! Uh, it's spooky season. I bought two pumpkins yesterday. I bought two gallons of actual apple cider. Like, the real stuff, not the bullshit stuff. Right. And guess what came in the mail today? Something Try Guys. No, my Halloween costume came (gasps) in the mail. What are you? Kylo Ren. Oh, that's right. I can't believe I forgot that. Obviously, that's who you are. What? And I cannot wait until this zit is off my face so I can take some pictures of myself in it because I look like a badass. Like, I came home on my lunch break mm-hmm. simply to grab some on. lunch and then go back to work. And Sean was like, you got a package. And I opened it and I was like, oh my fucking God. So, of course, I had to try, try it, it on. on. Yeah. I look great. If I, I am say so myself. so excited. I have not even thought about a Halloween costume. I'm also going to be so warm. Oh, that's nice. Because you know everything that happens on Halloween, if you happen to go out, you're probably going to be outside. Yep. And for those of you who are not from Minnesota or Wisconsin that are listening, it's fucking cold here on Mm -hmm. Halloween. So all Mm -hmm. those, like, pictures of people going out and they're, like, super scantily clad. Yeah. Whether it be because the costume is sexy or because by nature that character just doesn't wear a lot. Mm-hmm. Every time I see somebody wearing a Lilu costume, like from the Fifth Element on oh, Halloween, yeah. I'm like, oh, honey, no. How cold are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In other years, you would go out to a bar. And once you're in the bar, it'll be really hot. And so you just have to try and find parking as close to the venue as possible and then run really fast while hopefully not wearing high heels, which a lot of times you are if you're wearing an outfit like that. And uh, yeah, this year, a lot of the stuff is happening outside because COVID still exists. So So I've Mm -hmm. got my makeup to practice got my lightsaber i've got the outfit i'm gonna be so warm in it this halloween whether we're outside or even if i'm just at home in the costume by myself on the couch is shaping up to be an excellent halloween plus it's gonna be my anniversary so sean no matter what version of kylo i'm wearing i'm calling myself sexy kylo to sean because he's my husband and he has to deal with it i don't know if i ever told you um steve and i didn't have like an official anniversary date so we kind of just stole yours because that's the first time we like came out in public as as being a thing. So Oh yeah, no, I know. I remember you making out on the dance floor at my wedding and I'm like, "Who is this upstaging me on my wedding day?" <laughs> I'm sorry. The I'm fuck. sorry. <laughs> but also it was just a badass Halloween costume, so, you know. Yeah. Plus, you know, you make Halloween your anniversary and you never forget it. Hint hint. Everybody's like, "Ooh, don't pick a f- important date." For your anniversary, no, absolutely pick an important date. Yeah. And then if if the marriage doesn't work out, which yours will, you just re-wear your wedding dress, but turn yourself into some sort of a corpse bride. 
or like a revengeful bride. Like you can just go all out and be like, I've got this dress. It no longer holds any sentimental meaning for me. Let's just fill it with blood. Blood everywhere. (laughs) I had a thought before we get into the episode today. I had a thought that I needed to share with you and the listeners. Okay. Why are there no ghost dinosaurs? There are both. There are. There are ghost cats. There are mm-hmm. ghost dogs. Mm-hmm. There are ghost horses. That's what I'm saying. There's all these creatures that are ghosts. Huh. Why are there not ghost dinosaurs? They died. No matter which version of how they potentially died, you take. It's mm-hmm. a horrific death. Why the fuck aren't there ghost dinosaurs? So my thoughts are, there are ghost dinosaurs, and we just don't attribute the ghostly activity to dinosaurs. So instead of like a poltergeist knocking stuff over, that's just a dinosaur walking through your living room, just knocking stuff with its tail. No, 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 no. That's too small scale. A dinosaur ain't fitting in my living room. I'm saying when people are out in the woods and all the trees are swooshing and they're hearing all these ghastly moans, just a in the backgrounds and everything and trees are swaying even though there's no wind and they're getting this like ground shaking feeling like these terrible things that people associate with cryptids or like evil spirits of some kind and evil spirit energy. What if it's just like the ghost of a triceratops being like, bitch, I want to get at this bush. Like, get out of my way. I don't know. Based upon the sound you made, it sounded more like a veggie eater. From That's Jurassic what I said, Park. a triceratops. Triceratops has the horns. And it's a veggie eaty. Yeah, eater. I was talking about the the long necks in Jurassic oh. Park. They're like, don't be scared. These ones are veggie eaters. I like that you said long necks. three horn little foot (laughs) i really like dinosaurs that makes sense to me because obviously they're not going to hang around the city that's boring they're going to want to go to try to get some tree stars oh all right so that's my hot take is that ghost dinosaurs exist and we just don't recognize them so open your eyes people get with the conspiracy series get with the conspiracy theory Ghost dinosaurs, they real. Ghosts. Ghosts. That was my it. hot take that I specifically needed to save for you to talk about on the podcast. I've been wanting to text you about it like all week. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like that uh, meme with Ralph from The Simpsons. And it's like, I just had a 20-minute conversation with a friend of mine and I didn't record it. What is this? 1991? there are things we talk about all the time but then there are things that need to be said on a recording mostly so that i can say it to many people at once instead of having to repeat myself a bunch oh yeah 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 yeah. because otherwise you're like did i tell you about the ghost dinosaurs and then they're like seven times now kayla i no longer (laughs) care i do not care about go i was interested in the concept before but you just keep bringing up the ghost dinosaurs Now that we've taken my hot take, should we cut to a commercial break so that we can get on with the stories? Yeah. (laughs) 
New week, new beer. What you drinking, Kayla? I am drinking the Aloise Amber. This ale is timeless, as Earthrider likes to say, and I agree. It holds fruit, coffee, and toasty flavors, balanced by like a hush hop balance. And even though I'm not usually a hoppy person, this is a really nice balance for me. I enjoy it a lot. Plus, it's only got 5.8% alcohol by volume, so it's not too overwhelming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, What are you mm -hmm. drinking? Mine is only a 5.5 alcohol per volume, uh, but I'm drinking the Superior Pale Ale. It's pretty much what I drank during all of Earthrider Fest. I know that it's one of their just classic go-to flagship ones, but it's one of my favorites. And it has American hops with like notes of citrus, and it's crisp, and it's clean, and it's delicious. There's something to say about the fact that it holds steady and is available all year long. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's always my go-to. These beers, like all Earthrider beers, are made with Lake Superior water and perfect ingredients. For the list of all of the flagship beers, as well as the seasonal ones, check out their website at earthrider.beer. And we're back. Hello and welcome back, everyone. We're using our NPR voices now. Just kidding. I can't hold that shit up. I, can't, I know. I, can't. I Every time I try, it doesn't last for very long. <laughs> so I have a tale for Hugh. All right. All right. I am going to tell everyone today about the headless cobbler of Smollett Cave. <gasps> I am so excited about this because this has been on your like dibs list for a really long time and I have literally never heard of this before. So it's an interesting and weird reason for why it's been on my list for so long. I've had it half written, but it's difficult to write because okay. it's a very small amount of sources. Oh, yep. And I don't want to mm-hmm. just like straight up read their sources. So I had to rewrite it a bunch of times, but I wanted to make sure it was fully flushed out in a cohesive story. So here's hoping I did that right. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Kayla has like an anime style zoom filter on right now. And it's really made me want to just be really aggressive and flamboyant with my arm motions. Like, yeah. That's when you emphasize things. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I move, I'm just going to go. It's going to be a bitch to try and edit out. Don't do that. <laughs> You got it. All right. (laughs) Let's do this. Ava is a small town in the southern section of Missouri. With a size of 3.3 square miles and a population of 2,900 people and being snuggled right into the Ozark Mountains, it is actually the largest city in its county, Douglas County. So it was honestly the biggest city I could find related to my subject this week to kind Mm -hmm. of center everything around so when people look it up they know what to look up if you drive a little over eight miles south of ava you will find the small unincorporated community of smollett and if you're in smollett and you head down highway a you'll find a farm and on that farm in that land you will find a cave This cave has been shrouded in mysteries for years, ever since the Civil War era and possibly before. 
Because of its isolation and a good deal of lawlessness in its earliest years, Douglas County sometimes has been called unofficially Booger County. I'm sorry. Is that relevant to the story? No. Booger? Is it funny? Yes, because boogers are always funny. Booger County. Booger County. That's (laughs) never going to come up again, but it popped up and I had to say it. No, no, I really appreciate the hashtag fun fact about Booger County. (laughs) (laughs) So, since Civil War times, the Smollett Cave has been the focal point for many strange sights, sounds, generally reported throughout the years to have occurred either at dusk or shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. Although there are oral accounts of one suicide and two murders within the radius of a half mile around the cave, no reports of any violence within the cave itself have been found, just to establish that right off the bat. Okay. And the main writer that I will mention here has observed through many of the community's stories of violence and the supernatural tend to converge on the Smollett Cave and give its atmosphere like this air of dread and mysteriousness. But if you're actually looking into the history, there's not evidence of violence in the cave. That we know of. That we know of. Now, before we get too far into this, we're going to throw out our general disclaimer, and I would like to remind everyone not to go tromping around looking for this place. The cave is on private property. Jerry Sellers owns it with his wife, and he says that stories about the cave have been passed down through his family. His relatives Uh have lived on the land since the late 1800s. So this is not a place you can visit. It's just a place to talk about. Okay. No, don't authorize going onto public property without permission. Private property. Yes. I thought I said private property. I thought I said private. I'm. I guess I'm not sure. I heard public, but that doesn't mean it actually said. All right. Well, we're we're rolling. We're we're rolling with it. I meant private property. (laughs) Jerry Sellers said, in the early 1900s, the cave would have been much larger because there's a stream that runs right in front of the cave. And over mm-hmm. the years, some of the silt and everything is filled it in. But the opening is still there. You can still walk in. It's just smaller than it used to be. But what makes this cave so special? The Smollett Cave has been associated with strange sights and sounds, including floating lights. But really, it's best known as being the site of the Headless Cobbler. That's cobbler as in the profession, like back in the day when people relied on cobblers to make and mend shoes, not cobbler like delicious fruit dessert. Well, they generally don't have heads. But I'm just, I'm making sure there's clarification here. Without the whipped cream. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. See, whipped creamless cobbler, headless professional cobbler, two different things. Daryl Hayden, a member of the Sellers family, also grew up in Smollett and was a graduate of Ava High School. After becoming an English professor at the University of Tennessee, Hayden published a book in tribute to the legends from his childhood. The book is titled The Headless Cobbler of Smollett Cave. It was published by the Kinfolk Press in 1967, and you can still buy copies of it online or rent it from a lot of libraries. I found a few Midwestern ones available in my search. It's got some really cool pen and ink illustrations to go along with the stories. It begins rather ominously with, On a dark night, a strange light is seen, and a tapping echoes from the depths of an Ozark cave. 
The observer, with imagination and a sense of the past, is returned to tales and times of the American Civil War in the Missouri Hills. Beginning in its second century, the legend this book follows depends for its existence upon what is probably the most mysterious geographic feature in Douglas County, Missouri's Spring Creek Township, Smollett Cave. The legend is a local invention based upon real persons and historical happenings, but it may also be a reworking of elements from older folktales, both indigenous and imported. There are a lot of theories about the origin of the stories revolving around the cave and how they've been told over the years and how they've evolved. The Headless Cobbler is rumored to have made its first appearance at the Smollett Cave during the American Civil War. Allegedly, passerby could hear sometimes during the early hours of the evening a distinct staccato tapping like that of a hammer smacking the tacks into a shoe. Superstitious reporters of the cave ghost have also said that the ghost never appears before the dusk, aka almost dark, if not later in the evening, and then it goes walking along the roads and banks adjacent to Spring Creek. The cobbler is reported to have no head on its shoulders, just a dangling clump of shoes. Wait, so like a neck and then shoes with their laces tied together and the shoes just dangle? Mm -hmm. And there's yep. no head? Yep. Shit. Okay. One of the earliest and most prevalent stories about the Headless Cobbler originated with Daryl Hayden's great-grandmother, Frances Indiana Hayden, who died in January 3rd of 1932. Her oldest son, the writer's late grandfather, Walter D. Hayden, told him the story in an interview at his home in Ava on December 22nd of 1960. Walter Hayden told Daryl that his mother and a renter's wife named Mrs. Hall were on their way to sit up with a woman who was dying of consumption. The two women were walking up from the road alongside Spring Creek with Smollett Cave across from it. His mother recalled that it was right around dusky dark when a man without a head stepped out into the road in front of them. On his shoulders, he had a Bible along with the shoes. As the two women and the headless man met, he didn't say a thing, but the women also like hurried away you know because someone was headless in front of them and the strange man walked in the opposite direction they made it back to the house to sit with the dying woman and afterwards the ladies laid out the corpse for burial while the men of the household worked on her casket because that's what you did back then right it was a hot night so after the women had finished their work they sat down in some chairs in the yard to cool down his mother had leaned back in her chair when she was smoking her clay pipe and all of a sudden, from between the back of her chair and the side of a cellar, a commotion began. At first, she thought the headless man had reappeared, but there was a bit of panic, and it turns out that it was just her chair mashing a calf that had been dozing alongside the cellar, so she's just leaning oh. up on a calf. The calf ran away, but also so did Walter's mom. Yeah, that's legit. Um, I like how it specifically says that he didn't say a word. He doesn't have a mouth. He doesn't have a head. <laughs> Suspiciously, he didn't say a word to this headless man without a mouth. And that wasn't Walter's only story around the cave. His family had quite a few experiences there. One time, while hardly half a mile from the cave, teenage Walt and his cousin Porter were riding their horses home late at night when their path veered to the right at a spring under a big white oak tree. His horse stopped pricked up its ears, and stood stock still. Something like a man was in front of them. Porter's horse didn't move. 
And then the thing began to float away like it didn't have a foot on the ground. What the hell was it? Porter had asked him. Walter said, I couldn't tell him, and I can't to this day, but when it moved, I knew it wasn't a horse or another animal. I popped my spurs to the horse, and we went up that hill. We didn't hitch any horses either when we got back to the house. My pa had to do it for us. (laughs) Owen Hayden, Walter's brother, spoke of how their uncle, Jimmy McHolland, and a neighbor were riding horseback from a meeting at Spring Creek Church when they heard the hoofbeats of a horse approaching them from the opposite direction. Before the men could get their horses over to the side of the road, they were met by a strange horseman who trotted between the two riders, passing so close that the two witnesses could see that he lacked a head. This appearance allegedly occurred along the same road, which followed the course of Spring Creek, that his great-grandmother had been walking before when they saw the headless cobbler. Hunters have been among the most frequent reporters of the strange sights and sounds about the cave. One night in the early 1900s, Sellers brothers John, Ernest, and Edgar, who are all now currently deceased, were going possum hunting back into Smollett Cave. They had sent their dogs in, but soon the dogs came piling back towards the mouth of the cave, howling a retreat. The dogs just were raving. The men saw something, too, back in the dark, but they couldn't make out what it was. Apparently, they started throwing rocks at whatever it was to scare it away, thinking it was a larger animal. But whatever it was kept its distance, and their rocks seemed to go right through it. On June 10th of 1965, Orloff P. Hayden, son of the late Porter Hayden, Walter's cousin, mentioned in an interview that as a boy, he had often heard that a headless man had been seen near the entrance of Smollett Cave. He remembered as well a rumor about a dead man's head being found back in the cave at one time, although he never heard the details. Oh. Well, who could this strange headless man be? According to the late Reverend C.V. Turner, who was 93 at the time he was interviewed in December of 1960, James Turner, no relation to the Revlin, was murdered some 90 years earlier in the vicinity of Smollett Cave. The murdered man had lived in a double log house on the hill, approximately a quarter mile west of the cave. Bystanders heard gunfire and guessed that someone had been shot. Reverend Turner remembered hearing that those who ran to investigate found brains blown against the wall and James Turner lying dead on the floor. But the Reverend could not recall who had murdered the man or what the motive for the crime had been. That story has no definite backing it's just a tale that a man in his 90s remembered one of the more backed up stories comes from mary pratt who was an ava resident and in an interview in the mid-1940s said an old man evans sometime during the civil war moved his shoe leather and cobbling gear back into the smollett cave at the foot of his property Mm -hmm. cobbler evans had his reasons for making shoes back in the cave He had a good-sized family to feed and clothe, and neither he nor his leather and tools were safe from rebel soldiers and bushwhackers outside of the cave. So, safe from discovery, the shoemaker worked through the daylight hours in the cave and then returned home after dark. Okay, okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Mrs. Pratt, who died in 1957, could not Mm -hmm. recall Cobbler Evans' given name, but later Daryl Hayden found the story of an Uncle George Evans whose quirks had been told around the town of Smollett for decades. Supposedly, he was a bit of a recluse, and apparently, 
he used to wear his shoes on the wrong feet alternating days in order to prolong the life of the leather. <laughs> Uncomfortable. Okay. Dedication. But that <laughs> follows the tale of a cobbler. Right. A direct descendant of the cobbler, Ernest Evans, corroborated the story that Mary Pratt told, saying that as a boy, he had more than once heard his grandmother, Margaret Barnes, laugh and say that there was no truth in the old stories about a headless man being in Smollett Cave. Mm-hmm. Margaret Evans, before she was married to Ernest's grandfather, said that the cobbler was her own father. During those troubled days back in Douglas County, Wesley Evans had gone back into the cave to work until nightfall because rebel guerrillas were taking shots at any man not for the Confederate cause. Ernest Evans recalled hearing that his great-grandfather did not move around much outside except under the cover of darkness. So he supposed that there were not many rebels who would want to go back into that cave area at dark, especially right. if they were potentially going to encounter a Union man. Right. Yeah. And supposedly this is the most likely space for where these stories that Daryl Hayden had been telling came from. Daryl Hayden posed that it is not difficult to understand how superstitious travelers passing along the creek road near the cave at twilight or during the early hours of the evening might have mistaken a shoe-burdened figure of Wesley Evans for that of a headless cobbler. Mm-hmm. Loaded down under the weight of leather, tools, or perhaps the work of several days cobbling, his strange silhouette could understandably have appeared headless. It was probably not difficult to associate such a sight, coming as it apparently did from Smollett Cave, with the dark, the dread, you're in the woods, everything's unknown. Thus, witnesses needed to believe in the existence of a headless shoemaker in order to explain such an irrational sight. But their belief depended on an already existing tendency of people to move towards superstition. Right. To be left of skeptic. I also heard something I don't remember where from in regards to, like, urban legends like this. Where a lot of times urban legends are actually less terrible than reality. Mm-hmm. And with everything that's going on with the Civil War and all that stuff, it gives them something different to talk about. Like, headless cobbler, let's not talk about the real soldiers and the dangers of life and consumption and all that jazz. Headless cobbler. But what about the lights? No one really actually seems to have an explanation for them. Nope, don't got an explanation for that. The mysterious light that is sometimes associated with the headless cobbler's moving around Mm -hmm. was mentioned by one of the people interviewed for this study in December of 1960 at his home half mile northeast of Smollett Cave Raymond Sellers talked of sightings of a light of the headless cobbler's lantern Mm -hmm. bobbing along a treetop height for three miles along the wooded ridges curving the course that's now Douglas County's Highway FF they wanted to point that out Mr. Sellers described the light as red, slow-moving, and blinking. He said in that interview that he and his wife thought that maybe it was actually the light of a low-flying airplane in distress, like they couldn't get up above Mm. the ground, so they Mm -hmm. ran outside. But once they got into the yard to listen for sounds of a failing motor, or maybe even a car motor, they heard nothing. But the light continued to move west above what is now called the Newt Johnson Bluff 
until it was almost directly over the location of Smollett Cave. From that point, it turned right and headed due south where he and Mrs. Sellers watched it just stop and disappear out of sight. That couple's sons, Billy and Jerry, both holding college degrees and being much more skeptical than their parents, have also reported seeing the lights that their parents described but did not have an explanation. Aliens. Now deceased, Daryl Hayden knows the importance of storytelling and keeping up traditions, especially to the rural areas of the Ozarks. Daryl's brother, James Lauren Hayden, said that there wasn't much else to do when they were growing up than to tell stories and read books, which were often too expensive. So James Hayden said, They were told over and over again and embellished each time they were told, probably. I think it was the entertainment. It was getting together and visiting with people. So with the late Daryl being so keen to talk about it, how much had he explored himself in his lifetime? Mm -hmm. Apparently never beyond the mouth of the cave, and he was happy to keep it that way. He lived there his entire life, and he never went inside. Yeah. But most of these reports are from old interviews and tales of tales passed through family. What about recent tales? Jerry Sellers, the landowner, told KMSU Ozark Public Radio that his parents, Raymond and Carrie Sellers, saw a mysterious light floating above the tree line going towards the cave many times. And he said that he himself, one night around 1 a.m., was traveling with his brother and they were driving home from playing cards with some friends when they encountered floating lights for themselves. Sellers said, quote, We had a light follow us. Then when we pulled down the driveway and stopped, we could still see it coming towards us. When it suddenly went back to the west and then another sudden and rapid movement south. Aliens. Sellers says he takes all of these explanations for the stories with a grain of salt, but does believe in the value of passing the stories down. I think that's a part of our history that should be kept alive, you know. It should be passed on. I agree. That is the story of the Headless Cobbler of Smollett Cave. And well, you beat me God. to the punch. Because all of the tales of the actual Headless Cobbler are very folklorish. They're a folkloric haunting, as we learned about in the last episode. Not That's historic. a good term. Folkloric. But those lights, man, I was like, aliens! Aliens, right? Aliens love the Midwest. And going around the same location over and over and over again for years and years and years. So that's actually what caught my eye about this story first, was not the legend of the cobbler, because as you know, I like to have background and reasoning for my mm -hmm. stories, but you also know I love a good alien tale. You love So some a good part alien. of me is like, this is aliens. Aliens. These people just don't know about enough about aliens to realize that it's aliens. Obviously. On a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what will you give the headless cobbler of Smollett Cave? I think I'm going to give it a three. All right. All right. I'm going to give it a 1.5. God damn it. <laughs> I've been like riding that middle line. Uh, I'm like right in the middle. I'm not being very skeptical or believing. <laughs> I'm just like, maybe. Maybe. Well, the way I figure it, is just because a story might not be real doesn't mean it's not worth telling. No, it's a great story. And I gotta love a good alien tie-in. You love those aliens. No, I thought it was a great story. I also am so baffled by people who live in the same family house all their life 
and their their entire family goes back generations because I mean I live house from because when I was telling the story they were saying like this sellers so it sounds like sellers and Hayden are the same family okay this family is like a half a mile west of the cave this family Mm -hmm. is northeast of the cave so it's probably a large plot of family land that has been split up amongst the family so they grew up around the same area so it is like one house is passed down in that family but i don't think it's had as many families going in and out as it sounds like when you initially read it that was another thing it took a lot of time to wrap my head around all of it as i was trying to figure out which family member was which and who's here and who's walter and who's jerry and all of that fun stuff but this book is actually really good this daryl hayden book it was written in the 60s if i recall Mm -hmm. correctly and it still holds up for some decent storytelling though there is a lot of very problematic discussions of indigenous people so i just breezed right past those yeah, we're which just is why you should not anything. buy it. Don't you give them just money. <laughs> borrow it from the library. Support yep. your library, and not give crappy people money. Legit, legit. Well, I liked it. That was a good story. I think that I would love to hear your story at this point, and we should uh, head on into another ad so we can get going there. <laughs> Just because Earthrider Fest is over does not mean there are not amazing events coming up at Earthrider, and I would like to tell you what I'm really looking forward to. I'm ready. Ides of September. <gasps> I can't Based wait. off of the amazing Ides of March festival that Heiko puts on every Heiko. year. Heiko! Heiko! We've moved it to Ides of September to make it more COVID-friendly. There's options. And they're having two nights this year. Friday, September 24th, is Eyes of September Ladies' Night. And then Saturday, September 25th, is the normal Eyes of September. This is local musicians doing tributes to musicians they love. So this year we've got Violent Femmes, Mountain Goats, and there's a secret band that Heiko hasn't announced yet, which means that if it's a secret band... It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Awesome. So keep an eye out for that. What are you looking forward to? On Saturday, October 9th, Earthrider is doing their own Oktoberfest. Yes, they are. And they're having Vinzigo Hosen play. They are having Vinzigo play. (laughs) Without me, I won't be there. But you know what? It's still going to be freaking rad my bandmates are amazing and while i feel like i bring a lot to the table they do awesome without me and you're not going to want to miss this if you're in town because it's great i will just happen to be in new york that week you cannot go wrong with a punk polka band but if you are also into traditional polka that's okay too because the polka aerobics are going to be there and then if you're looking at getting a little bit weird want to get weird always robot rickshaw hell Mm -hmm. yeah hell yeah Mm -hmm. that is a lineup Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. not want to miss games so many good things coming up this fall food prizes 
Mm-hmm. Amazing. So that's coming up on October 9th. So uh, head on over to their website, earthrider.beer, for ticket information. And if you want to follow information about upcoming events or just check on what they've got going on, you can follow Earthrider Beer on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we are back. Yeah. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. Uh, This week, I am heading back to South Dakota to talk about the Bullock Hotel, which is located at the corner of Wall and Main Street in Deadwood, South Dakota. Yeah, Deadwood. Also, fun fact, the two people that I talk about the most are two people that you would recognize from the show, Deadwood. Because they are, you'll find out later, they do a lot of stuff. What? Timothy Oliphant? Is that his character's name or is that the actor? No, he's an actor from Deadwood. Oh, I've literally never seen Deadwood. He's a very attractive man. Despite the fact that I have now referenced it in two stories. (laughs) All right, so in 1876, Seth Bullock, is that his character? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it? Wait. I'm going to double check my... Now you got me questioning myself. Uh, Seth Bullock. Yeah, it was Seth Bullock. So you are talking about Timothy Oliphant. Let's go. All right. So in so I'm going to picture in my head this whole time. Exactly. Exactly. Now you know exactly what he looks like. Um, I will also show you a picture of what he actually looks like because his uh, his facial hair is absurd. So in 1876, Seth Bullock and Solomon Saul Starr moved to Deadwood, South Dakota from Helena, Montana. Within a year of their arrival, the two had built a successful hardware business on the corner of Wall and Main, which is where the Bullock Hotel currently stands. Before Bullock had left Montana, he had been the sheriff in both Lewis and Clark counties, and when he arrived in Deadwood, which was not long after the death of Wild Bill Hickok, the city was demanding law and order. Shortly after his arrival, Seth Bullock was appointed the first sheriff of Deadwood. According to legendsofamerica.com, quote, Bullock was undaunted by Deadwood's lawless and dangerous nature and wasted no time appointing several fearless deputies to help him clean up the town before long order had been established in the former hell-raising camp and in the meantime the hardware store thrived because that's the whole reason why he was there he was there to have a hardware store he ended up being sheriff it's great yeah in 1879, Deadwood suffered a devastating fire, and although the hardware store was affected by the fire, it was still standing and it continued on, until yet another fire in 1894 destroyed the hardware store, leaving only the brick warehouse that stood behind the store standing. Between 1894 and 1896, Bullock and Starr built a three-story hotel over the lot where the original two-story wooden frame hardware store had existed. The hotel, which was Deadwood's finest, was made by hauling native pink and white sandstone from Andrews Quarry in Boulder Canyon, 
and it was decorated in an Italianate and Victorian style. It boasted a restaurant that could seat 100 people and offered such delicacies as lobster and pheasant. It had a kitchen and a pantry, as well as a grand lobby featuring red velvet carpeting, oak trim, brass chandeliers, and an imported Steinway grand piano. Sounds beautiful. Beautiful. The hotel featured 63 luxury sleeping rooms, which were furnished with brass beds and oak dressers, and each floor had its own bathroom. There were two large banks of skylights for lighting in the inner rooms with natural light. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Can you even imagine? And it had a library and a parlor. And in 1900, Bullock purchased the small building that was attached to the hotel and converted it into a gentleman's bar. (laughs) And then the front of the building housed the offices. It's not as interesting. Together, Seth and Saul ran the Bullock for years, while also dabbling in a few other ventures. Saul Starr was elected to the first town council in 1876, became the town postmaster in 1877, was elected mayor in 1884 and served a total of 14 years, and then he later went on to serve as a legislator in the South Dakota House of Representatives. Okay. And Seth continued on with his career in law enforcement. In 1884, Seth Bullock met Theodore Roosevelt while bringing a horse thief known as Crazy Steve into custody. And from then on, the two were lifelong friends. Roosevelt would later say of Bullock, quote, Seth Bullock is a true Westerner, the finest type of frontiersman. In 1905, Bullock was appointed marshal by Roosevelt, as well as again in 1909 by William Taft. These dudes were super busy. Over the years, both Starr and Bullock expended their many businesses across the state of South Dakota, and they actually established a town or two along the way. In 1919, when Bullock's bestie Theodore Roosevelt died, Bullock constructed a monument to his memory known as Friendship Tower. As TravelSouthDakota.com puts it, quote, Not every friendship gets its own tower, but two Wild West legends made their own tribute rules. Brittany, this Would podcast you is my Friendship, friendship Tower. Just outside of Deadwood, you can see the physical monument to that friendship at the Mount Roosevelt Memorial, also known as the Friendship Tower. When Roosevelt died in 1919, Bullock arranged for the erection of the Friendship Tower as a memorial to his friend. Bullock actually died only months after the tower's dedication, but he had two final requests before his death. One, he wanted his tombstone to feature only one word, pioneer, and two, He wanted his grave to be high enough on the hill of Mount Moriah Cemetery to have a clear view of Mount Roosevelt, end quote. And so he was. On September 23, 1919, Seth Bullock died of cancer on his ranch near Belfouche, South Dakota, and he was buried on the high trail to White Rocks above Mount Moriah Cemetery, overlooking Friendship Tower. Please tell me it's just a tombstone that says nothing but Pioneer. I think that's what he asked. I know, but I mean, like, I don't want it to have a name. I don't want to have dates, nothing. It's just going to say Pioneer. I assume that's what it said. I actually didn't look it up. I should have. Oh. Look at me not giving you the information that you're wanting. You're way more on top of this than I am normally. I know. I know, right? 
Are you looking it up? Yes. Okay, so the gravestone says, Seth Bullock, pioneer, Martha, his wife. All right. That's all it says. Now we know. Now we know. Because it's my super short show. There is not a lot of information about what happened to the Bullock Hotel between then and the 1970s. So we're just going to jump ahead about 50 years or so. And by not a lot, I mean literally nothing. It went, Seth Bullock died, 1919, Friendship Tower, 1970s. Here we go. (laughs) All of the sources. I have no idea what happened in between. Uh, But in 1976, the Aries family purchased the hotel and converted the building back into a hardware store. Cool. Which it was until 1991 when it was purchased by new owners, Bullock Properties, and converted back into a hotel. The original furnishings had been sold off when it was converted into a hardware store in the late 1970s, but the owners did their best to recreate the original atmosphere and decor, though some things were drastically changed for more modern accommodations. From what I read, it sounds like some of the rooms are weirdly shaped because they put a bathroom in each room rather than just one per floor. Mm -hmm. And even though it's been about 100 years since Bullock's death, to this day, people swear that they have seen the tall, ghostly figure of Seth Bullock in various places around the hotel, specifically in the restaurant and the basement. And many of the paranormal sightings seem to happen more when it looks like the workers are not, like, really working. So when the staff stands idle or even just like whistles or hums, plates and glasses have been known to shake or fly across the room, lights and appliances turn on and off by themselves, and items move by unseen hands. Seth Bullock be like, bitch, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. For reals though, yeah. Guests have reported hearing their names being called by apparently no one, or have felt someone tapping them on the shoulder when there was no one there. Others have reported the sound of whistling in the halls and phantom footsteps. Because apparently, he can whistle. But employees are not allowed to whistle. (laughs) On the upper floors, guests have reported strange occurrences such as showers that turn on and off by themselves, unplugged alarm clocks going off anyways, TVs that seem to be operating on their own accord, shadowy or cloudy figures in the rooms and hallways, People report seeing orbs and photographs that develop with strange anomalies. Like orbs? Or did they did they specify what anomalies come up in the photographs? I saw this one photo that was on one of the websites that looked as if they were trying to imply that you could see a face in the photo. I didn't see no face. Okay. So, meow. Meow. One family staying at the hotel spoke of an incident where their young son suddenly was nowhere to be found. They frantically searched the hotel and could not find him. When they returned to their room, they found the boy, happy and healthy. He said that he had left to go get a pop. Okay, so the story says soda. Um, But I'm from (laughs) Minnesota, so I'm calling it pop. Anyway, so he went to go get a pop slash soda. A sody pop, as one might say. And he had gotten lost, but that a nice man helped him find the room again. When the family went to check out the next morning, the boy pointed to a photo of Bullock, saying that he, in fact, was the nice man that helped him. That's sweet. Hospitality man. He's like, employees do your job. Young children who are lost, I got you. 
You will find stories of guests' own spooky experiences when you look at the Bullock Hotel's reviews, like one visitor who wrote on TripAdvisor, quote, A ghost hunter's dream. Before we stayed at this hotel, I read about most of the quote-unquote paranormal activity. I honestly do not believe in this and thought it would be a fun place to stay. After my stay at the Bullock Hotel, I am now a believer. I was standing outside the door to a room, 305, and heard a male voice whisper at me, Can you hear me? I turned around, and no one was on the floor but me. I freaked out. Needless to say, I didn't sleep much the last night that we were there. When we returned home and developed the pictures, I do have a mysterious blur next to the Seth Bullock picture on the third floor. The staff is awesome and very friendly and helpful. We love Deadwood and hope to return someday, but I think I might opt to sleep somewhere else simply because it totally freaked me out. End quote. That's fucking mint. That sounds like a great... Like, I mean, it's not great, but it's not, like, overly creepy. Like, no. that's the type of ghost experience I strive for. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Good. It's just a Verizon <laughs> commercial. Yeah, didn't that guy switch to... Sprint. Or And T-Mobile? I felt so fucking betrayed. More betrayed than I should have felt for a TV commercial about a cell phone conglomerate. That's legit. Though not as bad as when Jared ended up being a pedophile. Yeah. And according to the Rapid City Journal. (laughs) Move along. Move along. (laughs) People will sometimes experience a lingering scent of cigar smoke, probably left behind by Bullock himself. Quote, Recently, a woman complained that her room was dirty and her walls were laden with smoke odors. The woman was allowed to switch rooms, but when inspected by the employees, the room was perfectly clean. As the last employee was leaving the room, the light from the window hit the far wall. Written there in what appeared to be water was the name Seth. End quote. You know, here's my issue with all of this. Okay. In my head... Uh-huh. Seth is not a fucking old ghost? name. What? It's not a ghost name? Seth is old not name. an old name. Like, it's not a name that I'm like, ooh, Seth. Like, it's it's not, it's it's not, it's a young person's name. Mm-hmm. It's no William. Exactly. It's not an Edgar. Edgar. Jeremiah. More sugar. <laughs> that's the first thing i thought of when you said Edgar, that your skin's falling off your face sorry <laughs> continue wow we are off book tonight uh, yeah uh they also go on to describe another spirit who haunts the halls of the bullock hotel a quote unquote young trickster named sarah who can be heard laughing and playing in the halls One story claims a cake topper fell off a wedding cake for no reason whatsoever during a reception that was happening in the basement. After replacing the topper back on top of the cake, it would fall again and again, followed by the gleeful laughter of a child. As someone who has worked weddings, I find that infuriating. (laughs) Also, there's no way that on the way down, it didn't just destroy that cake. Not cool, Sarah. Not cool. 
The Rapid City Journal also said that there is so much activity in the hotel that housekeepers will sometimes carry around electromagnetic field detectors. And it said that they will watch the devices light up from green to red, aka the danger symbol, lighting in some of the hotel's most haunted rooms. I heavily emphasize the quote of danger because ghosts don't necessarily equal danger. They just, red just equals activity. But yes, for sure. The Bullock Hotel has been featured on such shows as Ghost Adventures. But even cooler, the original Unsolved Mysteries, which aired in May of 1993. Fuck yeah. You can find the episode on YouTube. And the Unsolved Mystery fandom summed up the episode so much better than I did. So it said, quote, because I did just copy and paste this from the website. They did such a good job, though. Mine was much longer. This is better for y'all. In April of 1991, a psychic from Dorset, England, claimed that he began receiving messages from beyond the grave. Coincidentally, his name is Sandy Bullock. The spirit said that he was Seth Bullock. First of all, Sandy assumed that it was an ancestor. However, the spirit soon began communicating to Sandy through a Native American guide. He was issued a warning to the people of Deadwood. A period of lawlessness loomed on the horizon. The warning seemed so urgent that Sandy immediately wrote an open letter to the proprietors of the Bullock Hotel, asking them to contact him. A few weeks later, Sandy's letter arrived at the Bullock Hotel, and at the time it was undergoing extensive renovations. At first, owner Mary Schmidt assumed that he had gotten the information from a book about Bullock, However, when she got to the end of the letter, it said, quote, Seth can't haunt the hotel because of all of the banging that's going on, but he'll be back, and you'll know that it's old Seth, end quote. This shocked her because old Seth was the name that her aunt always called Bullock. She was certain that Sandy was legit. Just kidding, they wrote legitimate. (laughs) Local journalist Rena Webb was intrigued and decided to write back to Sandy. In her letter, she noted that some would be skeptical of this story, and so she asked him a test question to prove his authenticity. She asked, Who was the well-known person who is a close friend of Seth Bullock's? And how is Bullock's grave positioned in relationship to that friendship? And in Sandy's response, he stated, Tall trees block the view from his bones, but Teddy and he still meet in the afterlife. Rena was shocked by Sandy's accuracy. She believes that the message refers to the stack of pine trees that now obscure Roosevelt's monument from Seth Bullock's gravesite. She does not believe that it would possibly be for Sandy to have researched this information. And they were roommates. Companions. Anything but lovers. (laughs) Orbs, phantom footsteps, disembodied voices spooky cigar smoke, an annoying ghost child, and a friendship tower. The Bullock Hotel has it all. Except roommates. So, I've never seen Deadwood, as I said. But when I googled whether or not Seth Bullock was gay, it came up that it's kind of implied in the TV show, but a lot of, a lot of what I read about him very much, like, he did eventually get married. Yeah. To Martha, his wife. Uh-huh. As yeah. the grave says. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
uh his friend Saul never got married and then I was like what about Teddy Roosevelt was Teddy Roosevelt gay and I couldn't find anything that said that he was but there were theories that his wife was a lesbian and had had an affair with another woman whose relationship I cannot remember what it was um but yeah and then I was like they're each other's beards there were different times and it was not okay so people made happiness however they needed to make happiness exactly but I'm and fairly if you got certain. a gay man and a lesbian like that's perfect creating an agreement like yo we yeah. need to be socially acceptable but yeah. do our own thing this is the thing we got to do hell yeah it's perfect yeah exactly on a skeptic scale i'm mm-hmm. gonna give this story a four damn and that is because i do think that this is a legitimate area where it's not just a haunted building but mm-hmm. it's reports of one person haunting the building a lot yes so also i think that fits in that area in general is just like super haunted well dude so many people got shot fuck all of the time i didn't even include all of the famous people who got shot in that mm-hmm. area other than wild bill hickok but people got shot all the time so yeah gun control was not a thing no and i not think that, that wild thing now I think that what social commentary. <laughs> I think that Wild Bill actually got shot um, while playing poker. I think he was shot in the back of the head. If that's true, I would only know it from Tombstone or Deadwood, the TV show, and mm-hmm. I'm not recalling that right now. Because when I think about Deadwood or Tombstone, I just think mm-hmm. about very attractive men. And very attractive women. Oh, I have to show you the picture of Seth Bullock. And you have to yes, tell please. me whether or not he looks anything like the character. Let's see if he can get it. Look at that mustache. He cannot get it. No. That. Try eating with that. Like, you would never be able to eat a hot dog with like, that. That's literally, like, that's a soup catcher right there. Oh, wait, no, the yeah. beard is a soup catcher. Mustache is a crumb catcher. I don't know. Either way gross yeah Yeah. but you know what i'm okay with it he looks like a classy gent look at that hat look at that distinguished hat it looks like it's a wee bit crooked though yeah well as is bound to happen we will be sharing this photo on our Uh social media so you can see this magnificent facial hair and eyebrow assembly for yourself yeah, 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 yeah. Just all to be right. clear, all body hair is beautiful. I'm just not into that mustache. No. I like I like a good bearded man. I think we talked about this last last week, but mm, 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 mm. Nope. my friend Jesse has a handlebar mustache. He pulls it off so well. You know what else he this? you know what else Jesse does? What? He likes craft beer. Okay, for reference, just a quick story because it's not going to be funny to too many people, but for the few listeners who find it funny, uh, our friend Ryan recently got a picture of our friend Jesse, and it's a silhouette of him and his mustache because he appeared on a news channel like years Years ago ago. with the subscript that said, Jesse likes craft beer, and Ryan got that tattooed on him, and it's the most beautiful tattoo I've ever seen. 
It really is. I believe my comment was, you did not. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we should probably share that on our social media as well so we that should. other people can enjoy. We'll get Ryan's permission. Yeah. We absolutely will. All right. I have a Reddit story for you this week. All right. I'm going to disclose to the listeners. I'm not positive that I haven't read this story before. So if it's a repeat, I'm sorry. I had two Reddit stories to look up. They both sound familiar, but when I looked at my reference page back to links, neither mm-hmm. of them are on here. So I'm going to read one. And uh, if I was repetitive, you just let me know. And I'll try to fix that for the future. It'll be an adventure. It's Let's go on an adventure. adventure, friends. I'm quite ready for another adventure. Yes. This is posted by Celluloid Addiction four years ago in an post titled Never Play with a Ouija Board. Sounds like something you should pay attention to, Kayla. I don't play. I utilize. <laughs> okay. This story happened in October of 2004, back when I was still a third-year high school student. My friends and I stuck around the school late at night after our annual Halloween party. We had agreed to try out my friend's Ouija board. It was not the brightest idea, but we needed a thrill. We found a nice spot under a huge tree and proceeded with our half-assed ritual. There were five of us, two boys and three girls, and we were all expecting some kind of paranormal contact. Rumor had it that our school was haunted, but we never really experienced anything firsthand. And it was Halloween when all the spirits came out to play, so we wanted to get spooked. Also, we'd never seen a Ouija board firsthand before, so we were pretty excited. Our school was an old Spanish colonial house built in the 1800s when the Spaniards still occupied the Philippines. That's We were in a section of the school that doesn't get used often. Located beside a creepy old Jesuit house, people only go there when they need to use the restroom, store equipment on one of the sheds, or make out with their boyfriends or girlfriends. Nice. Nice. We sat around in the middle of an open space with only an exposed bare bulb nearby, illuminating the surroundings. We were all having a laugh, scaring each other with what-if scenarios. It was your typical dumb kids doing dumb things. My friend who brought the Ouija board proceeded to place it in the middle of our circle. If I remember correctly, it was one of those glow-in-the-dark versions, which we found hilarious, but it gave us the ability to see what was written in the dark. Not knowing what to do, And going after what we'd seen in the movie, we all proceeded to place our index finger on the planchette. We sat there looking at each other until one of us said, What next? We didn't know if there was a proper way to start the ritual. Fucking rookie mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the board didn't come with instructions, so we decided to just throw it a question. Is anyone there? I called out into the darkness. If there are any spirits living here, please talk to us. One of the girls joined in. Just fucking asking to get murdered up in this piece. We clearly had no idea what we were doing. Still, nothing. Not even the slightest bit of wind. One of my friends jerked the planchette, and the girl who brought the Ouija board screamed, breaking the silence, and we all laughed at how ridiculous it was. After a bit of joking around, we decided to give it another go. We all placed our index finger on the planchette once more and asked, if there's anyone there we would like to make contact. And don't break the circle, one of my friends jokingly said. Shut up, I whispered. We were just about ready to give up when the wind started to pick up. The stillness broke, and the darkness around us seemed to move. Just a coincidence, we thought. Okay, don't break the circle, I yelled out. Is anyone there? 
I was excited. It was like a scene from a movie with dirt and dead leaves swirling around us. Guys, I'm scared, my friend sitting beside me said. My mom warned me about playing with forces that we don't know. Demons. Did you die here? Were you killed during the war? Are you the headless priest that roams these halls? Do you know Jose Rizal, our national hero? Are you a hottie? My friend giggled. <laughs> At this point, we were all just throwing out random stupid questions. Nothing. This is bullshit. I don't want to do this anymore, my friend said, exasperated. And we were all kind of thinking the same. Just then, a group of dogs from the neighboring house started barking at us through the chain link fence. These six dogs were growling and showing teeth. We all screamed and, without finishing the ritual, bolted out of there. Fucking stupid. We didn't see each other until after Halloween break, and this is where the story gets creepy. One of the girls told us about a weird experience she had the night after playing with the Ouija board. Demons. She had gotten home late after hanging out with her friends from the neighborhood when she realized she'd forgotten the keys to her house. So she called her brother up, who was then still sharing a room with her, and what he said crept the hell out of her. He swore she was already home. Ah. He claimed to have seen her walk in a while ago and that she looked really tired and saw her head straight to bed. Creepy, but no need to freak ourselves out, was all we thought. Oh, yeah, okay. Besides, her These brother must have just stupid. been tired and seeing things. But then my other friend started telling us about an encounter she had that same night. She was going up to her room when the lights started flickering and she was ascending the staircase. Your typical horror movie visuals. Shrug it off to faulty wiring. But then she saw the door to her room open and a dark figure stepped out and stood atop of the staircase. No. She couldn't make out the entity's face, but she recounted mm -mm. that she couldn't move and felt utter dread as the figure stared down at her. Demons. No way. My best friend who had just joined the conversation stared in disbelief. Something happened to him as well. He recalled that he was sleeping one night when he woke up to feel real uncomfortable. He described his vision as having TV-like static and a feeling of heaviness surrounded him. He looked around the room, and that's when he saw a bloody, charred face with piercing red eyes grinning at him through the window. Oh, God. Okay. I couldn't believe what I was hearing because I had an almost run-in with death that night. After the ritual, I was sleeping in our sedan on the way home after fooling around with the Ouija board when I felt our car jerk. I woke up instantly, looked out the window, and found out that we'd been hit by a huge oil tanker. I panicked and leapt out of the car. Luckily, my mom and I survived the crash since the front of the car was a total wreck. What? I still don't have an explanation as to why those things happened to us, but thank God nothing happened after that. I have never played or gotten near a Ouija board ever since. That's what I say to that, Kayla. I do not remember that story, so I think that one's a new one. But I don't play with Ouija boards. I utilize them in a proper way, which none of these bitches fucking did. What the fuck was this shit? Also, the sound of this whole school, how is that not just creepy enough on its own without adding some demons to the mix? I mean, I, I, like, I like the idea of the spookies, but fuck, this was... It was stupid. Kids these days. Jeez. 
if you have a story you would be willing to share <laughs> so that I don't have to continually hope that I'm not reading the same story from the past. We would very much appreciate it, and you can do so by visiting www.leftofskeptic.com and clicking the Listener Stories tab or emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. We simply ask that you include your pronouns. You can choose to include your name or remain anonymous. Either way is fine with us. It's just we want to normalize recognizing people's proper pronouns, and we would thank mm -hmm. you for doing the same. Thank you. You can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Left of Skeptic or Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. We are getting closer and closer to Halloween season. With that comes our upcoming Urban Legends series for the month, starting out with a pretty great story we're stoked to tell y'all. So keep an ear out for that. If you would do so, you could also suggest some of your favorite episodes of this podcast to your friends so that mm, they can mm. start listening up and getting prepared for the storyline in preparation for the Urban Legends series. Boom. Boom. It's my contribution. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Drop the mic. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Rate well, with and that, subscribe. Rate. Smash that like button. Ugh, God, I hate it every time I say it. It's just it's a habit. I can't stop now. God damn it. With that... We love you all very much. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me. Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!